podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. So hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, the show where we analyse all the main uh, talking points in the world of Formula One and also a little bit of occasional banter as well as the regular race reviews. And as always, my name is Adam Burns. I am one of the hosts and joining me once again, my co-host Courtney Pine. Courtney, hello there. How are you? Hello, mate. Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, Soon be Christmas, not long now, so can't complain too much. I hope um, everyone that's listening in are doing great and um yeah looking forward to reviewing an eventful race absolutely and of course we're in the final stretches of the formula one season with both the drivers and constructors championships already wrapped up as the last race in turkey so now most cases the battle is focused on the midfield and some occasions a little bit of pride is at stake as well but of course first things first guys if you haven't checked out last the last episode that we did we did a brilliant discussion where we sort of analyzed the future of formula one from a british perspective the likes of lando norris george russell and some of the stars from formula two Callum mylot still competing in that championship battle with mick schumacher that's going to go down to the wire and of course jack aitken and dan tickton so check that out if you haven't already that's on the dnf1 f1 podcast youtube channel and of course it's on all major podcasting platforms including spotify Podchase, apple Podcasts, etc make sure to check that out and if you haven't already make sure to like share and subscribe to the channel as well we've got a growing family going on i think it's 114 at this point you know for a channel not of bad, us not bad not bad for us it's, it's seen a bit of a meteoric rise by our standards and if you haven't already joined our family we'd absolutely love for you to join the dnf1 family you know it's a growing community and for those of you that already have subscribed to the channel welcome back once again and thank you for your continuous support so whilst i you're probably wondering why I'm looking over to my phone briefly. I forgot to start the timer on this so I don't run too long because last week's one was a bit long, but it's <laughs> very much in depth. So definitely check that out if you've got the time to do so. It's well worth it. But moving back to the main talking point of the episode before I digress too much. And Courtney, I'm going to hold you to that back to George statement. And uh, for those of you that <laughs> checked out the last episode, will know exactly what that is a reference to in case I sort of go on a bit off a tangent. But back to the... Uh, biggest incident of the Bahrain Grand Prix that's just happened and that was the first lap incident involving Roman Grosjean now for those of you that haven't seen it um, I would normally suggest to check it out but it can be quite difficult viewing for some people so I will try to explain this the best way that I can basically what happened the start of the race got underway you know there was a lot of argy-bargy cars trying to overtake each other as you'd expect on the first lap and Bahrain does tend to serve up a lot of incidents and overtaking on the first lap it's brilliant opening sector for that on the F1 Canada and as we got past turns two and three we went down the long straight towards turn four Roman Grosjean saw one of the Alfa Romeos go off the track on the left-hand side tried to go to the right way saw a gap he's clipped the front left tyre of Danny Kvyat, and that has sent him out control, smashing into the wall at over 160 miles an hour. And immediately after he'd hit that barrier, the car broke in two and the front area of the monocoque where he was sitting burst into flames. It was a very, very scary sight to see. I mean, I've been an F1 fan all my life, almost, well, coming up to 28, 29 years now. 
I've never seen anything like that in my life. And I'm not going to lie. It was absolutely terrifying. Um, it, it's something, you know, not to make this a joke would be worthy of a Michael Bay film. Um, it was that scary to watch. And thankfully, Romain Grosjean man, it was able to get out the car literally within seconds of the original explosion. And thankfully, the medical car driven by uh, Dr. Ian Roberts and uh, Alan van der Merwe, if I pronounce that correctly, who were on the scene straight away. And, you know, thank goodness Roman Grosjean is okay. From what we understand, uh, the only injuries that he sustained, other than obviously the massive shock that he would have experienced in that incident, was some slight burns or minor burns, I should say, to his hands and ankle and also potentially a few broken ribs. That's the latest statement from Haas, but of course, we'll probably get more information uh, as the night progresses and probably in the next day or so. But Courtney, first things first, um, I mean, what a scary accident that was for Romain Grosjean and obviously for us watching around the world. Um, if you can... Um, can you try to describe your initial thoughts when you first saw that? Um, I'll be honest, I don't want to sound too dramatic, but when I saw it happen live, I actually found it quite uh, traumatising to watch. Like, I don't usually get too affected by crashes because they've come so far with, with safety in Formula One. Like, if you just see like a big smash, you just go, oh, yeah, do you know what? That'll be fine. But when I just saw that fireball, I thought, someone's died. I thought that that's impossible for somebody mm. to survive that. But yeah, you don't want to use the word too lightly, but I think Roman Grosjean has, has been on the end of not one, but two miracles. First of all, for surviving and two, to come out with only minor injuries. I mean, for any of you that haven't seen it, it was truly, truly horrific to see. And hats off to, the FIA, because they've done such a great job with safety. You know, it, it's, it's quite interesting that not long ago, we were discussing the halo and how, uh, you know, previously I was against it because of how it affects the spectacle. But that that halo, without a doubt, saved Roman Grosjean's life today. So the halos definitely need to be saying and the date as well as truly made me eat my words. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we'll talk a bit more about the Halo uh, in this opening part of the episode. I suppose the obvious criticism of the Halo, especially when it was first introduced, was the aesthetics element of it, the way that it looked. It made the cars look, well, not ugly, but it just looks strange. I mean, the uh, the element of open wheel cars that we often love is the fact that they're open wheel. It's very bared down or laid bare, I suppose, is the right way of describing it, to the aerodynamics, the suspension pieces, the bodywork, everything else to make them look as glamorous and sexy as possible, just as sexy as fast, I suppose, is the right way of putting it. And, you know, when the Halo was introduced, a lot of people were complaining about it from an aesthetics perspective, not necessarily criticising it on whether it was capable to do the job that it was intended for. And today, as we will talk a little bit la uh, later on, it certainly delivered that. And then some potentially, as you mentioned, Courtney, could have saved Romain Grosjean's life. And, you know, I think the first thing I noticed when this incident happened, I mean, let's not beat around the bush. It, it was an explosion, um, was. an explosion of flames and everything else. We're not 100% sure what the actual cause of that was, whether there was a spark or one or the barrier had pierced into one of the fuel cells or something, which caused it to ignite or something with the electronics. We don't know that. Well, of course, we'll find out when we uh, get confirmation of what was the cause of that and they're still looking into it. But I think what amazed me or what's, what I was concerned about the most was when it happened and the red flag was called out almost immediately within it happening, 
it took quite a while before we actually got television footage of what was going on. When you see something like that, and there was a gap in the broadcast in terms of the actual incident, we were busy watching the cars go around the rest of the track slowly to go into the pit lane. I'm not going to lie. I was absolutely terrified into thinking, are they not showing us this? Because not necessarily because it's very difficult viewing, because it certainly was. I mean, I'd like to think I've got quite a steely stomach when it comes to those sorts of things. But even I was absolutely worried and concerned and thinking to myself as something seriously, have we just literally witnessed uh, a fatality of a driver here? Fortunately, that was not the case. But as I said, I don't know about you, Courtney. I mean, what, what did you think of, you know, those 20, 30 seconds afterwards, what were you sort of thinking when we you know weren't what? able to get coverage oh. of Grosjean? You know what? It's really great that you highlighted that moment because, you know, yeah, I was, I was being very young at the time and I wouldn't watch it live, but it reminds me a lot when I look back at the footage of Emila 94. That's what it really reminded me of, particularly if you watch the Senna movie. They really did portray well the reaction to after the crash, the, the, the eeriness, the the lack of footage, and then it went on to um, Murray Walker presenting the news when he passed away. And to be honest, that's what I, at that point that's what I was waiting for. I was waiting for one of the uh, one of the presenters to announce a fatality. You're right; the fact they didn't show it, you know, when they showed, they showed a replay of the car and they stopped it before the moment of impact, I thought, "Oh well, no!" But it is it's a it's, it's a it's a minor miracle that's this occurred today and I, I'm just really pleased it has a bit of repeat of 94 because not only do you have, you know, the, the family and the friends of the driver that have to, you know, live with what's happened, it sends shockwaves through through the grid. And I, and I think a lot of the drivers deep down would have been shaken up by what they saw today. Well, they certainly were. I mean, there was a good uh, clip of Lewis Hamilton in the Mercedes garage after they'd come back into the pits. He'd gotten out and actually seen the video footage because, of course, at the time, none of the drivers, probably with the exception of George Russell, who was at the very back of the field, would have been able to catch a glimpse of that. And even then, his eyes are focused forward on the traffic in front of him and trying to negotiate the opening few sectors of, of the first lap of the race, which is, of course, the most likely time when you're going to expect a collision to happen if they do happen. That's why the medical car tends to follow them for the first sector of the lap, just to make sure if anything does happen, they're on the scene immediately. And thank goodness that was the case. And, you know, other drivers, I suppose the norm in Formula One and um, it is for drivers to try and distance themselves or try and block it out of their mind what has just happened or not try to see it. Because, of course, in this modern day in Formula One, in most cases, we will end up racing again whether it's in the next hour or so or next week or whenever that will happen. And the drivers have got to recompose themselves mentally, block out all that has just happened before them. It's as devastating as it was and as scary as it was to see and get back in that car and have, as Christian Horner said on the Netflix documentary, that fighter pilot mentality to just go in there, block that all out and go back racing again. You, you know, you take all that into consideration and ultimately the one thing that comes to mind is why are we still doing this? Like there's that huge risk to human life that in Formula One, we do take for granted that these guys are out there risking their lives. And Lewis Hamilton mentioned this on Twitter in the uh, interlude between the two starts of that race, that it's just a cruel reminder 
or in this case, uh, not so cruel because fortunately Roman was okay ultimately. And, it, and it's nice that we get to talk about an incident like this uh, where the driver hasn't passed away or hasn't been seriously injured or something and everyone was okay, you know. And I say nice is more like a solace rather than like, yeah, you know, not, nothing like that at all. But it does show how dangerous Formula One and motorsport in general can be. I mean, you mentioned Ayrton Senna in 94. We haven't really had a serious incident in Formula One where a driver has crashed um, like that. Of course, we had Jules Bianchi in 2014 that we talked about a couple of weeks ago and the late Antoine Hubert, who passed away sadly at the Belgian Grand Prix in F2 the season before. All very, very strange incidents that under the circumstances, there was not much that they could do. But it just kind of reigns in those uh, a re- reminder, I suppose, in the harshest way possible that Formula One is incredibly dangerous sport and that, you know, we should be grateful that we've taken for granted sometimes the fact that we now live in, a, in an age of motorsport where all of these drivers, we just don't expect anything like this to ever happen again. I mean, there was a time 20, 30 years ago, Courtney, maybe a bit longer ago than that, where... I think Nicky Lauda famously said it once that, you know, you'd have 20, 30 guys competing every single year. And the expectation is two or three of them would die, let alone have a career, like just in that one year alone. And thankfully health and safety has gone so far. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as well uh, to a point where, you know, these instances are so much fewer and further between. Unfortunately, in this case, as it's happened today, Roman Grosjean, despite the horrors that would have been put in front of him and the situation he found himself in was fortunate enough to only escape with the injuries that he sustained rather than not being able to escape at all. Yeah. I mean, it's just, just relaying it though. It's like still like, so we're recording this what, three or four hours after the incident. And I still don't know how he survived it. Mm. You know, as, 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 you know, as great as, the FIA have become with with safety and so many so many of the features have come together for him to survive. If you just if you're just looking on as a, as a spectator, it's 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 crazy. If you haven't seen the images of what the car looks like and the position he would have been in when that when that car went up in flames, he's a very lucky boy tonight, Roman Grosjean. And um, it'd be interesting to see how he um, how he reacts. I know he's leaving the sport at the end of the season. But it'd be very interesting to see what kind of attitude he has towards motorsport in general after what he went through today. Well, I think Roman would have been well aware of the risks that come in Formula One. I think obviously you don't see firsthand uh, like a video message or a warning saying this could happen or this could happen or this could happen because it just doesn't exist and probably would do more harm than good in this instant because of the number of different circumstances. I mean, those incidents could happen in so many different ways that you just can't begin to fathom the severity and the risk factor associated with Formula One until you actually see it firsthand like we did today. I mean, that could happen on any day to any driver out there. And these guys are actually risking their lives doing that. So, uh, yeah, um, absolutely right, Corny. You mentioned the halo as, you know, such an important device earlier. I think we should talk about that. How we were alluding earlier about the aesthetic issues with the halo, because obviously when they were first introduced onto the cars a few years ago, they they didn't really look too good. You know, they weren't the most appeasing looking. It kind of, as we already mentioned, took away the open wheel elements of the cars that we know and love for so many years. And, you know, people were rather focused on that rather than the actual safety that the Halo can, you know, c- can bring to Formula One cars. And 
we saw that today in you know the large in the best possible way how effective this halo is and as we've already mentioned potentially could as well probably what saved Roman Grosjean's life I think for lack of a better way of putting it and um you know I don't know if you saw the the crash the structure of the monocoque the uh, survival cell as they like to call it certainly lived up to its name today and you know on Roman's car it it was you know, all burnt up. The car had split in two on impact with a barrier. It had gone straight through the barrier. And then the fires completely engulfed the survival cell in the monocoque. But that enlarged stayed relatively intact, which shows how far we've come in terms of safety technology in Formula One. And of course, you know, by no way, by no small way of putting it, the Halo certainly lived up to its job in saving romance today. Um I mean, what are your views on the halo? I mean, even bef- let's let's not include what happened today uh, at the beginning. But w- what do you think of the halo in general? Do you feel that you know it's made Formula One safer? Do you feel like it's been worthy of its uh, introduction into the sport? Well, yeah, it's certainly proven to um, to be effective because I think it's it's probably saved lives on more than several occasions in Formula One alone, let alone in like junior categories. Um, you know, it's really unfortunate for Antoine Hubert, like even the even the Halo couldn't save him on that occasion, just so, so unlucky. But I think he's proven that since the Halo's come along, like not long, I think the first season it was introduced, um, we saw um, a big crash at Spa when, and the car just brushed across the top of Charles Leclerc, I believe, and uh, that Halo wasn't there, that car was going to go across the top of his head. And, and then today, you look at today, Another prime example, because I'm 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 under no illusion whatsoever that the halo saved his life. So, yeah, as 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 much as it affects the aesthetics, I'd rather I'd rather see a car that doesn't look as good than a dead driver on live television. To be honest, so uh, it's, it's definitely a feature that needs to stay. Absolutely, and I suppose it it pays homage, as we've already mentioned, uh, to how far Formula One has come in the last 30 or so years since the death of Ayrton Senna in terms of a safety perspective. Obviously, the noses of the car are much higher at the surface of it before they stoop down. Um, You know, they they never used to. They used to be quite consistent. And obviously, they had to bring those down to make it almost like it's like a flat nose sort of looking thing there. My arm's not doing it justice for that. I don't know what I was thinking. But um, (laughs) camera's up here. (laughs) But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just one of those that, it seems strange that for such a long time, people had this argument over aesthetics, over safety. And I understand that the halo originally didn't look great, but I'm used to it. You know, Formula One cars, they look fine. It'd probably be weird if you took the halo off the Formula One car now. It probably would look a bit strange. And in terms of the driver visibility, that's never really been an issue. You almost seem to forget that it's there from a driver's eye perspective. So, you know, today the halo in the best way possible did its job and save Roman Grosjean's life in this incident. Because obviously when he went through the barrier, you know, that barrier has come apart in such a way that if the halo wasn't there, the only protection Roman Grosjean has is his crash helmet. Now, crash helmets are a wonderful thing. And even those have been developed a lot recently. A newer version has come out a year or so ago to make them safer. But I'll tell you what, a crash helmet can only do so much to protect you from a crash at around 160, 170 miles an hour, let alone into the barrier he crashed into and obviously what followed with the the uh, ensuing inferno all over that monocoque. I mean, the monocoque or survival cell, I suppose, whatever you want to call it. I'm sure a few people are probably gigging away at that word. But um, 
you know, the survival cell is, itself stayed relatively intact, as we already mentioned. And again, that's another, you know, testament to the brilliant work and innovations fronted by the late Dr. Sid, uh, Sid Watkins, you know, who, who worked on safety for so many years in his Formula One career. And, you know, after the death of Ayrton Senna, that really did trigger um, a spark in him where he really needed to make safety the main priority in Formula One over anything else. And I'm glad that is the case because if it weren't for his works and his efforts, we could be talking about not just Grosjean, but plenty of other drivers that have had big crashes. And, um, you know, the one thing about the halo that I, I thought was very, very interesting in this incident was that in some cases, the halo acted a bit like a snowplow. It moved away the debris and the barrier pieces the shards of that that would have otherwise sort of trapped Grosjean in his car would have made it difficult to escape and as a result that allowed him that freedom that space despite the the fires that were surrounding him and uh, you know I'm definitely not underselling how intense this was but it gave him that space to escape from the survival cell and get out of there literally within seconds of the incident happening where of course he was met by Dr. Ian Roberts and uh, Alan van der Meer as well, who were literally straight away on the scene. So, you know, brilliant stuff from those guys. They did an absolute fantastic job today. And it just shows why the medical cars follow them up for the first uh, couple of first sector. I mean, cause if he'd have had that crash around term 13, the only protection he would have got were the Marshall posts. And again, that would have depended on where he hit the barrier. You know, the marshals were right there as well. So all in all, everybody in a moment's notice, in an extremely unlikely scenario that they probably prepare for, but never really expect, or maybe they do, that's probably what they're trained for, we were able to react in a brilliant way almost immediately and all contributed to Roman getting out the car safely. And the only thing that will be bruised is or shocked is uh, his ego, I suppose, in terms of a, a Formula One driver's perspective, being able to escape with their life is the main priority. Yeah, I mean, again, hats off to the FIA, you know, since it's 94, you know, they've done so much. All the drivers have come together and it, it seems that every single driver that comes through to Formula One are an advocate for, for sake of themselves. So it bodes well going into the future because, you know, a, a part of the enjoyment of the sport is the unpredictability of it all. You know, apart from maybe Mercedes dominating. Apart from that, you know, it just uh, this this crash is proof as to why it, it might sound strange, but why some of us do love Formula One because a race could be boring and out of nowhere something dramatic happens out of nowhere. You want to be seeing dramatic moments, but you want to be seeing every driver come out of it at the other end of the race. So, if they carry on plugging away with the safety, you you can you, you can absolutely get that balance between having good races and everyone you know being safe. And I, I think today, as as shocking as it's been for everybody. Let's take the positives from this, and it just shows how far they've come safety-wise, and not make it continue. Absolutely. I, I mean, we talked about them in last week's episode, brief or not last week's episode. The uh, well, yeah, actually, no, we did one of them because we released a few episodes last week. But yeah, um, it's a couple ago, I believe. Yeah, I talked about how the FIA made, or not the FIA in particular, but the stewards were making a massive blunder and taking a huge risk in Turkey qualifying when they let the cars go out for Q2 whilst there was a recovery vehicle still on the circuit in treacherous conditions, you know, similar to what Jules Bianchi faced, which ultimately led to his uh, incident that took his life, unfortunately. And, you know, I was very, very angry. Perhaps I didn't sell it so much on the video podcast, for those of you that saw that, but I was infuriated by that 
given what had happened only five or six years before that. And it was almost like if something happens, you know, it's, they're going to look like idiots. And ultimately, the only one paying the price will be the person, whichever driver snatches a break and goes off and has a fatal accident. And today, by equal measure, I am so, so impressed and proud of all of those people that were there straight away on the scene and that were able to help Roman Grosjean and all of the safety measures that have been introduced that the FIA have adopted, they really have gone leaps and bounds in the last few decades. And, you know, an incident like this, normally uh, in certain circumstances or extreme certain circumstances like this, you would find that the best opportunity to learn newer ways in which safety can be improved is from incidents like these. Now, of course, that's not me saying the more of these, the better. Far from it. Of course, it's fantastic. And hopefully they're even more few and further between than they currently are now. But these are the moments where you really start to learn about the nature of an accident, why it happened, what triggered the explosion, you know, what could they have done better? Quite frankly, there probably wasn't much they could have done better. It all worked out perfectly, um, you know, relatively speaking. And you know, you know the, the success of it obviously was Roman being able to escape with his life, but you know, being able to learn about newer things with the car, how it behaves, and how the survival cell maintained its structure, the halo, how that interacted, because they have demonstrations and they practice, but they don't really get a live tested environment until something extreme like this happens. And of course, you'd never want a canvas for that sort of thing to happen. But it is important to know that there are other ways in which this can be improved so that these incidents don't happen in the future. I mean. What would you what would you say to that, Courtney? Where do you sort of stand on the safety element in terms of how much further can it be improved? Is it possible to get to a stage where Formula One becomes a risk free sport? I think considering how Formula One is the pinnacle of innovation, you know, you've got you've got some of the greatest minds, you've got some of the greatest some of the greatest engineers in, in, on the planet, all all coming together, discussing content. Um, content and ways to improve um so for me i i i think that to be honest there could be a better group of people to come up with ways to make the sport safer and we've already seen it we've already seen it in the past 25 years how far they've come you know as tragic as it is that we lost jules and um Hubert, you know they're they're only a couple deaths in the space of 15, 20 years. So as sad as it is for them and their families, they've come, we've, we've come so far in terms of safety and, mo- and motorsport. So I have no doubt in some of the great minds that they're in Formula One, I think, I think there can be improvements. And, you know, as you said, Adam, as horrible as it is what happens, this is a, a true simulation of a type of accident that can happen. And lessons will be learned from this and nobody died as a result. So mm. overall, as, as it was for Roman, there are a lot of positives can be taken from this to avoid someone else dying in the future. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned uh, the family's element as well. I mean, I think Jules Bianchi's mother uh, mentioned on social media that, you know, as tragic as this was of what happened to her son, Jules, and it really was at the time, it was such a loss for the sport. Of course, all losses like this are great for the sport, certainly. But, um, you know, she mentioned that the introduction of the halo was brought forward as a result of this incident to Jules Bianchi. Whether or not that would have saved him, of course, the jury's still out on that one. There was a lot of conflicting arguments for and against as to whether or not that would have saved Jules. But because of what had happened to him, they brought the halo in. And ultimately, that is what saved Roman Grosjean. And of course, you mentioned Charles Leclerc 
in the uh, Belgian Grand Prix in 2018 where Fernando Alonso's car was sent flying over him. And if the halo wasn't there, there's a good chance that one of his tyres would have hit Charles Leclerc and not to sound too drastic, but that could have been fatal as well for, you know, another young driver. Um, Before we break to part two, because of course we've got a race review to do as well. We did have a race once everything was put back together. The barriers were uh, reinforced with new, more, probably more protective barriers and what I already saw maybe in the week uh, Michael Massey and the FIA because they were having a meeting next to uh, the uh, burnt up uh, survival cell structure of Roman Grosjean's car to try and get all the feedback and learn the lessons of it might decide to get them in the week to reinforce the barriers all around the circuit to make them much more safer than what they currently are I think there's work to be done there but um Let's spare a thought for Roman Grosjean in terms of his career, because of course, now that we've got two races left in the next two weeks, there's every plausible uh, possibility that that may have been Roman Grosjean's last time in a Formula One car. And, you know, pardon the pun and forgive me if this is a little bit inappropriate, but the, you know, as you know what, I won't say it because it probably would be inappropriate. So I'm not going to say it, but you know, in a way, it, it does feel like that that could have been Roman Grosjean's final race in Formula One, it, assuming yeah, probably, that yeah. his injuries are fairly accurate in terms of the burns and also the uh, potential broken ribs as well. So um, let's let's assume that, and that this you know because with two races left to go, obviously this isn't the way that Roman Grosjean would have wanted to end his Formula One career. But assuming that this is the last time we see Roman in a Formula One car, how would you sum up his time? Not necessarily a husk, but his career in general, Courtney, in a few minutes, if you can. Yeah, he with Roman, he came he came in with a lot of potential. We he had a few, shall we say, fleeting moments, particularly during his lotus days. Um, but it just seems that from the moment he went to Haas, it all kind of went downhill for him. It seems that he joined what looks like a quite chaotic environment and he just seemed to become associated with incidents on and off track rather than competing for good points and podium finishes. And um, in a way, I think it could be a blessing for him to leave that because, uh, to leave Haas, because unless, unless they really bad, they're going to continue to be quite, quite a negative and chaotic place to be. And, you know, you don't know, he might go to a different form of motorsport and do well there and make some kind of name for himself there. So I think it's probably better for Roman to leave Formula One altogether than to stay in that environment, to be honest. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And there are certainly many avenues for someone like Roman Grosjean to go into this Formula E, this IndyCar, there's a World Endurance Championship, which I'm sure might probably appease him. You know, other former Formula One drivers have done well there, like Sebastian Buemi, uh, Nakajima, John Eric Verne as well, mentioned him, Brendan Hartley, uh, Fernando Alonso, of course, you know. World Endurance Championship racer and a few other Formula One drivers still competing in there at the moment as well. So certainly plenty of options for a driver of Roman's calibre. And I suppose in a way, the earlier parts of his career in his Lotus days, you know, somewhat chaotic, but equally fast. And there were certain days where Roman was very, very impressive. And I suppose originally the move to, to Haas was seen as a gateway or a stepping stone towards a potential seat in Ferrari at the future. Never really materialised. 
but uh, Roman was definitely a driver that always showed great pace. And when he had the right car underneath him, was definitely more than a match for some of the top drivers in the sport and competing with them week in, week out. So he would definitely be missed. Certainly a very lively character in the paddock. Um, we're definitely one of the more popular drivers in the paddock, but he certainly will be missed if indeed this was his last race. Certainly not the way he would have wanted to, to go out of the sport, but certainly a memorable character nonetheless. And if that is the case, we'll wish him all the best in his future endeavours and look forward to seeing what he's up to in the near future. So, yeah, I think that's a good way to end part one. And uh, part two, of course, we've got a bit of a race review to do because this is a podcast where we do review the races. So in part two, we'll be talking about the events that unfolded after we got back underway for the Bahrain Grand Prix. So we'll see you in part two. The DNF1 F1 podcast is a brand new show that covers the latest gossip, news and events in the world of Formula One. In each episode, we discuss the hot topics, interview guests, as well as review each race from the Formula One World Championship. We upload new episodes weekly, and we upload our podcast episodes on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. We also upload video versions of every podcast episode on the DNF1 F1 Podcast YouTube channel, as well as other great content that you can check out. So make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and click the notifications bell so you don't miss out on any new content that we produce. You can also follow and engage with us on social media. The DNF1 F1 podcast is now active on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. Stay safe and we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. So welcome back to part two of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Now, uh, of course, we've got a race review to do. So uh, let's get stuck into that. Probably no better way to introduce that, but uh, I digress. So the race itself, we did have a race after the Roman Grosjean incident and everything was cleared up and everything was sort of reinforced in terms of the barriers. And immediately we ended up with a safety car on the uh, first lap of regular running again. So in a funny way, you kind of look at everything that had kind of happened and once everything had settled down and everyone was glad that Roman was okay and we were able to go racing within a lap, uh, the biggest incident being Lance Stroll and Danny Kvyat colliding at uh, turn eight, I believe it was. And uh, it sent Lance Stroll's car flipping or rolling over onto its top. And uh, I'm not going to lie, Corny, I kind of look at that like a disgruntled parent who's just cleaned up the house and the kids have made it messy within five minutes and go, <sighs> For five minutes, guys. Literally five minutes. Can you keep it clean? <laughs> Beautiful, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, you know, just see, seeing that, and I was like, uh, me, I thought it was quite funny. and uh, Because, you know, people say, oh, cars that roll over, oh, it's quite dangerous. But it's quite safe now when that sort of thing's happening. The driver's fully strapped in. You've got the halo there as extra protection. They're quite tepid compared to, uh, especially compared to what we'd already seen. Uh, about an hour before exactly. and I kind of just looked at that and just thought it was hilarious but you know we had the safety car on the first lap I mean with that Joel Kvyat incident how did you see that did you feel that that was a racing incident or do you feel that Kvyat was deserving of the 10 second time penalty that he got following that from the stewards um, I think I think 10 seconds was a little bit harsh I'm, I'm, I'm no F1 steward as you may have guessed but um, I'd have probably made it about five it was it was you know it was a first lap after a safety car. It's effectively the first lap 
very similar to, you know, the, the, the first lap of a race itself where stewards tend to go lenient. And I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was, you know, because there was still so much emotion after what happened to Roman and Kvyat was kind of linked with the incident, even though I don't blame him for it. I, I, may, I think the stewards may be like, look, calm down, calm down a bit, you know, let's, let's not be having any, any other uh, major issues here. No, no more, no more crashes because that's the last thing we want this to be seen. So I think that's a little bit of a reminder to him to calm down and make sure that it doesn't happen. But it's just, it's just another, another unfortunate moment for Lance Stroll as well. He seems to be uh, one of the unluckiest drivers up there this season, um, along with uh, Valtteri. I put, put him as probably the unluckiest driver this season because he's very unlucky last, last, um, last race round in Turkey. You know, starting from pole when he slipped down the grid. And, uh, you know, today started, you know, very good qualifying yesterday. Probably thought, you know, this is a bit of quite a race. This could be an opportunity for me to go a few places. And then he was taken out on the uh, first lap. And, uh, yeah, just an un- another unhappy weekend for Lance. Yeah. The second half of the season, Lance Stroll has been very, very unfortunate. Um, you know, the start of the season, he started off so well. He was getting some good points for Racing Point. You know, when Perez was off for the two races at Silverstone, you know, he was doing a good job for the team. And uh, at the second half of the season, since uh, that podium that he got, um, I'm trying to think what race that was when he got that podium. Uh, oh, this is terrible. That's go- that's going to wrap my brain. I'm going to wake up in a cold <laughs> sweat later on and shout out the name of the venue that Lance Stroll got his podium earlier on in the season. So I'll have to think about that. Monza. There we go. Monza. Yes. Oh, we both <laughs> did it at the same time. <laughs> Jinx, you owe me a Coke, I suppose. But um, <laughs> probably not appropriate to say a Jinx to in a podcast because then it's just going to be a monologue from me. And I don't think you guys watching will probably want that. You probably want some interaction. or Back the George, Adam. Back the George. <laughs> Finally got one in. I was waiting to see when you're going to bring that in. But yes, <laughs> since Lance Stroll got that first podium at Monza, his form has been, for lack of a better word, very, very poor, but not by his own doing. It must be said, you know, he's had a lot of misfortunes in Mugello. He was on course to get another one. And, you know, some races that followed, it, it just hasn't really worked out for him. And I suppose in a way, despite Racing Point being on the cusp of a brilliant potential third place finish in the Constructors, Lance will certainly want to see the back end of this season, given where it's going and the Aston Martin project that will follow. So you know, I, I think we should also stress um, with the Kvyat incident, you're right to point out that, you know, Kvyat was definitely not at fault for the incident with Grosjean. Grosjean swerved across, uh, didn't see Kvyat behind him perhaps, or didn't leave enough room for him, clipped his tyre. Um, so it certainly was not Kvyat's fault at all for what happened to Grosjean. Um, you know, so no concerns there. But this incident as well, I thought 10 seconds perhaps was given on the grounds that it took Lance Stroll out of the race. But I also felt that Kvyat's car was far enough alongside where Lance taking a wide berth into turn eight probably should have factored in Kvyat being there and perhaps given him a bit more room. So a bit harsh, but you know, under the circumstances, I'm not surprised to see that kind of penalty being given, but seeing as we're talking about racing point, let's go to them first. Of course, um, day that probably promised so much for them and for a long time looked like was going to end up with another podium the second in a row for the team third of the season with Sergio Perez but with three laps to go his engine gives way and blows out and Sergio was still trying to drive with reduced power clearly with the uh, you know 
intention to try and see if he can finish the race like Charles Leclerc did a year before when he had similar troubles. But unfortunately, the, the car started to catch fire and he had to pull over after turn 10. And you could literally see the emotion and the the anguish, I suppose, in the Racing Point team and Otmar Zafna sitting alone at the pit wall, head in hands over not just a another podium for the team that's gone away, but so the battle for the Constructors' Championship is so tight at the moment that points drop like this are going to be critical, not just for the bragging rights of getting a top three finish, but also the prize money. And I believe, if my maths is right, um, McLaren have now overtaken Racing Point in the Constructors' Championship, by which they, uh, I'm trying to think of the point swing, they probably would have, actually no, they wouldn't have done. Yes, yeah, so Racing Point would have been ahead if uh, Sergio Perez had come in third rather than retired. So, you know, in this Constructors' Championship swings and roundabouts, the battle between Racing Point, Renault, Ferrari, McLaren, which in truth is probably now McLaren, Racing Point and Renault. I think Ferrari after today are definitely out of the equation now. But fine margins between these teams. And an incident like that could be the difference between Racing Point finishing third and not finishing third. I mean, what what did you make of Sergio Perez's performance today, Courtney? I just, I just think, yet again, it's another example of a driver, yet again, being unlucky. Um, this is such a vital moment for not only Perez, but for Alex Albon. You know, it's... Despite Alex having a decent race for Red Bull, Perez was still going to finish ahead of him, and it could have given him some kind of some kind of ground going into the two final races to potentially get that Red Bull seat from Alex, and and it literally went up in smoke. And if that isn't unlucky enough, the racing point has a Mercedes motor in it, and the Mercedes has been so reliable this season, and, and for it to happen to Checo of all people, I just I'll just gutted for the guy because he's he, you know. It kind of sums up his current situation. He's doing all that he can, and he's doing a great job. But it just seems that external external circumstances are really pulling him down and making life difficult for him. And you know, as difficult as it must have been for Perez, oh, it must have been a great moment for Alex because not only did he see his rival go up in smoke. He got a podium for Red Bull. And I, I just believe that that moment has saved Alex Albon's Red Bull career, particularly for this season going into next. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, we'll talk about Albon in a bit, but you're right on Sergio Perez. Um, you know, Perez has been one of my drivers of the season. I mean, if you look at the championship and let's assume today he came third and he didn't have that retirement. If you look at the championship and exclude the two races that Perez took part in. I mean, exclude for everybody. Not only would Perez be comfortably in fourth place in the championship, but he'd actually be battling for Stappen and Bottas even for a potential top two position in the championship. That's how good Perez has been this season. So, you know, it's a great shame for Perez that we're talking about a driver that's done so well this season, yet equally, there's a good chance that he'll find himself without a seat in Formula One next season. And we may not see him in Formula One again. It's so, so hard to get back into the sport with the limited number of opportunities available. The conveyor belt keeps on going. Newer talent is still coming into the sport. So once you find yourself out of the sport, for whatever reason, it's so, so hard for you to get back in. I mean, look at Esteban Ocon a year before. Every argument is that if he didn't come back in the sport this year, he may not have been able to find an avenue back. And I fear for Sergio Perez, um, Whilst we've had no official confirmation on what Red Bull are planning to do, it does seem that there's a growing belief 
if not already, that Alex Albon will stay alongside Max Verstappen. I suppose Red Bull wanted that. We talked about this in great depth already, but Red Bull, they've been crying out for Alex to give them something, give them a reason to keep him on next season. They like the guy. He's got a good amount of potential and he does a good job when he's driving well. And today, you know, he got that podium Magello. I think this is by far his best performance of the season. You know, we saw after what happens earlier on in practice where he completely crashed the car at the end of FP2, you know, the work that would have gone in, that would have been massively frustrating, a huge repair bill for the team. And this was at a time where his career at Red Bull is hanging in the balance. Will he stay? Will he get demoted to Alpha Tauri? Will he have a seat at all, given their plans for potentially Yuki Tsunoda next season, which we still got away for confirmation? And I feel hinges on what happens with Alex Albon. An incident like that would have done him no favours at all. So to recover from that, do a relatively decent performance in qualifying where he got fourth on the grid in the first start. Okay, he was six temps off of Max Verstappen's ultimate time. And today, if Max had not had the the safety car or pitted to try and maintain fastest lap, Max was almost half a minute ahead of Alex. But the fact that Alex drove well today, recovered from all of those setbacks and ultimately was rewarded with a slice of luck in in the Perez retirement and getting his second podium, I feel this could be the moment if it was not already uh, under the opinion of Red Bull bosses, that Alex will have done enough to cement his future with the team for at least one more season. You know, we should stress a lot can change, but, you know, I've suspected for some time that Red Bull were going to keep Alex on. I mean, Dr. Helmut Marco talked about, you know, he's got this time to produce, he's got until this day, and the deadline kept being pushed back and back and back and back. It was almost like, as I said already, they're saying to Alex, look, we want to keep you. The contract is there. The ink is still drying. Please give us a reason to keep you on. And it probably could have gone to the last race. But I do feel now that he's got that podium, Courtney, as you said, driving the way he did today, that might be enough to get him over the line. And as a result, they're going to lose out on Sergio Perez, who I think would be a brilliant fit for Red Bull. And I think Formula One is going to lose out on Perez. And it's a it's a crying shame that a driver of Perez's calibre, uh, sorry, not easily, I should say, uh, in the top seven or eight drivers in the sport should Absolutely. be should be in a Formula One car next season. But the brutal nature of it, you know, I can understand Aston Martin's reasons for keeping for taking on Vettel and keeping Stroll, but I really feel that Perez should be in a Formula One car. But there's a growing possibility that that's not going to be the case. Yeah, I couldn't put it any better, Adam. He should be in a. He should be in Formula One. He's. I think he's taken a step up actually this season. You know, the the negative people out there like to mention his year at McLaren, saying, "Oh, you know, he had a shot at a big team and he failed. He failed getting a Red Bull. Come on, he was. He was. This this was a few years ago. He's he's come so far, and you know, a few years ago, I was under the impression that he was. One of, the, one of the drivers that was only there because of the money that he brought, quite ironically, you know, considering that he's leaving as a result of some of these other drivers. But actually, in the in the past several seasons at Racing Point, he's really developed as a driver. He's become a leader at that team. And he's pulled results out of the bag that he had no right to achieve. And he is. It's a crying shame that we're going to be losing a talent like this. And we've said this repeatedly so many episodes in the past. This is one of the most frustrating elements of being an F1 fan. It should be talent over how much money your family has. I don't know. It, it's something that needs to be looked into going into the future because we want to be seeing the best go up against the best. I don't care how much, how much money they have, but obviously the teams need it. 
It's just the finances of Formula One need to be looked into because we can't keep on losing drivers of Perez's calibre because the spectacle itself will start losing out. Hmm. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And that's a brilliant point. Uh, something that's existed in Formula One for such a long time now, it's definitely a sport that favours those that have versus those that don't in terms of opportunity. Now, that's not me implying nepotism or favouritism amongst the uh, wealthy elite, I suppose. But it does, you know, it is a sport for so many years that drivers that have had financial backing, even Perez to an element has had financial backing. I mean, he single-handedly saved Racing Point when at Force India when it almost went under and kept so many people in these jobs. So this is why it's even more bitterly painful the prospect of losing Sergio Perez from Formula One, especially from the Racing Point team of what he's done for them. You know, but this is the nature of the sport. And this is something that we will discuss in a future episode, the financial difficulties of Formula One and why it's so difficult. Is it any easier than it was when, when I was karting, when I was younger, you know, I was told, you know, I was, you know, really good. And like many drivers, around me and some better some you know that we're all told these things when you show potential that you could go a long way but the ultimate buffer that you have or the ultimate hurdle you have to you know go over is money you know you have to have money and that's what kills a lot of dreams it killed mine and it certainly has killed so many other drivers better or worse you know and will continue to do so so that's something to look out for in the future on the channel moving back to uh, the mercedes team Let's uh, talk about their day because, of course, they won the race. Lewis Hamilton getting his, uh, (laughs) was it his 95th win now of his Formula One career? Oh, it sounds about right. Sounds about right. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it was number 95 for Lewis now. We're almost losing track, but he's getting ever closer to the magical 100, where, let's be honest, it's going to happen very, very early next season. And uh, another interesting thing for Lewis Hamilton today, he... Uh, has been become the first driver, I believe, or might be wrong on this one as well, to have led for 600 laps in a single season. I don't believe anyone else has done that. Again, I might be wrong. And there's only one driver in mind, I think, that probably could have done that. But, uh, you know, another calm, collective, impressive performance from Lewis Hamilton. It's just business out there for him. He goes out there, you know, he's got the threats of his teammate and Verstappen in particular. But once again, Lewis Hamilton... It seems to be driving in second gear at the moment, pardon in the pun. He you know, seems very relaxed, very calm. And uh, now he's got those records in the bag. They're his to sort of extend. And that's the motivation, I suppose, for him. But just another solid performance from the guy. He just can't seem to do no wrong at the moment. Usually when Lewis wins the title, he usually tails off because it's so easy the past few seasons, generally speaking, that he's been winning with about, what, two, three Races remaining, he usually tails off and then Bottas gets a couple of wins and then everyone at Mercedes is happy going into next season. But Lewis is actually showing signs of being relentless now. He mm. could have easily just take, he could have coasted this this weekend, but he's been fantastic throughout, you know. They weren't entirely happy with a setup on Friday, which we've seen sometimes this season a few times with Mercedes, but Lewis grafted away, put the car on pole, and dominated the race. Even though uh, Red Bull were closer, it wasn't the typical kind of running away being 30 seconds clear. Red Bull, Red Bull have made some improvements, but yeah, I think I think Lewis was just managing the tyres. Um, it was it was pretty easy for him, but given the circumstances of the race, he could have lost his focus. But no, he he took it over the line to win 
yet another race and we're pretty much running out of things to say about this guy. You know, you're going to get the same old arguments about the car. But even when Red Bull were closer, Lewis effortlessly got another win. But seeing as we're talking about Mercedes and talking about who's been unlucky, how unlucky has Valtteri Bottas been this season? Yet again, he got he got a puncture and potentially another towards the end of the race. I don't know whether it's confirmed or not. But it just reminded me of Imola, where he could have easily gone on to win, and he got he got a piece of Ferrari stuck in his car, which, you know, cost him the win. And I I, I think Valtteri, and I've I've been one of the people that have given him some stick for you know not doing enough to challenge Lewis. But actually, when you look through the twenty twenty season, he's been really unlucky, Adam. Yeah, I mean, we look through uh, the 2020 season and I was thinking about this the other day. You're absolutely right to point out Valtteri's misfortunes by contrast to how good Lewis has been this season. I don't think ultimately it would have resulted in any difference in terms of the championship position. I think Lewis would have still won that battle, but it certainly would have been a lot more competitive. I mean, we can roll off some off the top of our heads. You mentioned Imola already where he got that large piece of Ferrari stuck under his car that he had to drive with for the whole race. Ironically, the fastest that any part of a Ferrari has been all season, as I've said already. But, um, you know... I, I digress on that. You had the incident at Silverstone where you had the tyre blowout. And of course, Lewis had the same issue, but Lewis was able to get it over the line, whereas Valtteri's happened much earlier and it ultimately cost him a podium. He had the issues in Turkey that really hampered him for the whole race. He was completely nowhere. And, uh, you know, as uncharacteristic as that was for Valtteri, we kind of learned that, you know, he had damage to the car. Uh, you know, he had damage in Monza, which really affected him because he could have won that race given what happened to Lewis, but he had issues there. I mean, the list goes on. And whilst Lewis has been equally brilliant this season, or probably the one of the best we've probably the best we've ever seen Lewis Hamilton, not had Great. many opportunities yeah. to demonstrate it, but the all-round package, he definitely looks like he's at his peak right now. And Valtteri Bottas, as insurmountable a task as that would be to match Lewis Hamilton, it's made even harder for him that he's not had the rub of the green in terms of not necessarily reliability, but being able to avoid damage or incidents affecting your race, which are out of your control. So there's a lot of sympathy for Valtteri. And I hope, you know, I'm sure he wants this season to be over with now that the obligations are met. They've won the championships in both formats. You know, he just wants the season to be done. But um, I'm hoping next season, whatever version of Valtteri Bottas we get, whether it's Valtteri 3.0, 4.0, I've lost count by now. But, um, you know, he's able to really give it a go next season, not have these issues that he's faced and really give Lewis Hamilton a run for his money. Because as great as it would be to see Lewis win an eighth title, we want his teammates to really battle him all the way through. And it could possibly be the only challenge that Lewis has um, in terms of in terms of competition for the Drivers' Championship, depending on what Red Bull do. So we'll have to, you know, wait and see how that goes. Um, as Lewis, as we already mentioned, driving like he uh, had the handbrake on, I think he had plenty of pace to burn if he needed to, if Verstappen had got close enough. But um, let's move to McLaren. McLaren, I already mentioned, had a fantastic day today. You know, th- this is the team that for a while now we've been concerned that their form is dropping very, very quickly and that the battle for third place, as it was intensifying, they were starting to find more problems uh, with their car than actual answers to it. But today, you know, it was a brilliant drive from Lando Norris, you know, rode the conditions well, you know, 
judged the race perfectly, very solid performance and was rewarded with a fourth place finish, the best result that he's had since that podium early on in the season for Austria. And Carlos Sainz, of course, you know, following that up with a fifth place finish as well, inheriting those positions from Sergio Perez. So, um, you know, what do you make of McLaren's day, Courtney? Because, you know, as I said already, it's been difficult this season for them in the Constructors' Championship and they're well in the fight. But now after that slice of luck from Perez and two brilliant performances from Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz, fourth and fifth respectively, they now find themselves uh, quite a margin ahead in the Constructors' Championship. Just looking at now on my phone, it's 17 points to racing point. Um then you've got 27 points to Renault and for argument's sake, they're 40 points ahead of Ferrari. Is this a turning point in the championship where it seemed to be going to racing point of Renault, but now McLaren are in the driving seat. Do you think they can hold on to that momentum now and basically see at home and get third place in the constructors championship, their highest constructors championship finish, I believe since 2012. I look at McLaren with, a sense of excitement going into the future. I think I think you're right. I think they're in a great position to wrap up third, which would do them wonders when it comes to financing for coming seasons. Um, I was particularly impressed with Lando today. You know, we discussed we discussed about Lando in previous episodes where I was concerned about where he was mentally, but today's been today was exactly what I was looking for. You know, as as a viewer. From Lando, he seems he's turned it around. Fantastic performance, stayed out of any incidents, took home the maximum points that he could. Brilliant for Lando and also for Carlos. You know, he's leaving at the end of the season. He's another driver that could have tailed off with two races ago, but they go from 15th to 5th. Fantastic from the pair of them. And let's not forget that this has happened at Bahrain, the home of one of the biggest investors from McLaren. Mm. So it's going to be a real a real feel-good factor about McLaren at the moment. And as somebody that will always have a place in my heart for McLaren, I'm really excited about the future for this team, considering that they're making progression with development. They've got a, a very exciting driver lineup coming next season, not only in terms of, you know, the banter, the jokes, which are going to be brilliant, but they're two very, very com- competent drivers. And, you know, Martin Brundle commented on on itself. They've got a sound car, and this is with a Renault engine. Hmm. I'm really excited to see what can happen with McLaren with a Mercedes engine. And, you know, going in with, with third place, but that extra investment, it seems to be a real positive momentum about McLaren. And if they get if they put everything together with a Mercedes engine, the feel-good factor, the drivers they have, they could be in a real good, good position to, you know, in the coming years, even challenge the likes of Red Bull. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you're right to point out, you know, their larger investors uh, were present today, obviously, at Sakir, you know, that they have a keen interest on McLaren, especially on a day like today. And they certainly delivered a great performance, both of their drivers. I mean, Carlos Sainz in particular, I really, really enjoyed that battle we had earlier on with Charles Leclerc, really getting the, the shoulders out between him, you know, and those two had a bit of a feisty battle. And that's a nice little marker for what we'll expect to see next season uh, at Ferrari when Carlos goes there. Hopefully we'll see plenty more of that next season. And, um, you know, McLaren, as you mentioned already, you know, they had a great day today. It was expected McLaren were going to do well at this track, given that they do a lot of testing here. It's almost like a second home for them 
in recent days. But, um, you know, the, the pace of the car was always under question, I think, in terms of a development perspective. They've kind of focused more on next year's car, given, as you mentioned, the uh, incorporation of that Mercedes engine and gearbox, which they will have to redesign the car in certain elements, particularly at the rear. Uh, to accommodate that engine and of course they've already done that at the front of the car as well more mercedes pieces going on there but um a great day for mclaren and they certainly delivered well and this bodes well as i said third place in the constructors championship corner the best result i believe since 2012 so it's certainly a good sign for mclaren and with daniel ricardo coming from renault next season by his own volition that's certainly going to be a promising prospect to see those two pairing up together not just off the track but certainly on it as well so uh, certainly look forward to see what they can do the rest of the season certainly bodes well for them moving over to the renault team uh, a team, uh, again, made some gains on Racing Point, but ultimately lost out to McLaren. It seemed a couple of races ago that Renault, particularly in Daniel Ricciardo's hands, was pulling themselves along very nicely into contention for that first spot in the Constructors' Championship. Today, they they now find themselves uh, nearly 30 points behind McLaren. How would you rate their day? Because it could have promised a lot more for Renault. Ricciardo 7th. Ocon night. Ricardo could have got past Gasly, but he was going toe to toe with the McLarens. What do you make of their day? I found it a bit bizarre. Halfway through the race, you had Ocon that was ahead of Danny Rick, but it was clear that Ocon was holding him up. And it, it, it cost Daniel a real opportunity to attack the two, the two McLarens. Now, I don't know if there's a little bit of favouritism towards. Ocon, given that Daniel's leaving at the end of the season, but it just it just seemed that Renault took way too much time to make the decision to let Daniel pass, and I I think you know it's small decisions like that that could cost them towards the end of the season, you know, because there's, there's quite a sizable gap now to McLaren just ahead of them, but you know those extra points could have uh, made a difference, so maybe Renault will look back on that decision at the end of the season. With a with a sense of regret, so it's it's interesting. I, I just wonder if that decision was made, you know, given the fact that Daniel's leaving and they're giving some kind of preference to um, to Ocon. Could be a very interesting point. You know, I hadn't actually considered that, um, you know, being a possibility, given that the way that Ricardo's been driving, he's been exemplary in his form, getting a couple of podiums. Of course, we'll have to wait and see what Cyril Abitable has in terms of a tattoo, as we've uh, often alluded to after that podium from Daniel Ricciardo at the Eiffel Grand Prix last month. But um, yeah, it was a very strange call to not prioritise Ricardo and force Ocon to say, look, just get out of the way because you're holding your teammate up. Their strategies were completely different. And you're right, we'll never know if Ricardo could have caught the McLarens. He certainly was competing with them for a long time until he lost about 10, 15 seconds trying to overtake his teammate and get bogged down. And unfortunately, whilst he was chasing Gasly down at the end, ran out of time because of the safety car for Perez. It really saved Gasly in terms of making that one-stop strategy work and was rewarded with a sixth place finish for Alpha Tauri. So, you know, another good day for them as well. Danny Kvyat just missing out on the points, but overall a decent day for Alpha Tauri and for Renault moving to Alpine next season and just becoming an engine supplier. It shares the financial burden, of course, between two teams, which of course Renault will be very happy about rather than having to front the bill themselves. But um, it does help as you mentioned, Courtney, when they make these decisions, they have to be making them spot on early as they can to try and back their best guy in Ricardo at the moment. As good as Ocon has been in recent weeks, he's certainly improved 
they'll probably look at today as perhaps a missed opportunity to get some points, bigger points, considering what happened to Sergio Perez. But as we said, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, considering the gear that we're in, I think a bit of hindsight wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. So we covered AlphaTauri briefly as well. Not really much to say about their day other than they'll be happy with Gasly making that one-stop strategy work. Kvyat tried to do the same, but ultimately the tyres, you know, the, the abrasive circuit in Bahrain, it was very confusing for a lot of teams not wanting to opt for the softer tyres because they just felt they would fall off the cliff completely. Hardly think anybody used them. I think they took them all off. I think signs in the opening stint did. He kept hold of them. But other than that, uh, not really much to say on the softer tyres. Let's talk a little bit about Ferrari. Um, you know, a team that for a little while looked like they were re-emerging into this battle for third in the Constructors' Championship after the performance in Turkey from Sebastian Vettel and Charles Leclerc, where very much nearly got both of them on the podium, ended up with Vettel in third and Leclerc in fourth. A difficult day for Ferrari. Uh, they got a point. Charles Leclerc finishing 10th. Vettel, unfortunately, finishing outside the points in 13th and was really compromised a lot at the start, it must be said, in both cases. And uh, the second one by his teammate, and by, of all people, we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, is it fair to say that we expected Ferrari to really struggle, not just this weekend, but perhaps next weekend as well at Bahrain, given the power-sensitive nature of the circuit? It was, you know, a year ago, Ferrari were one and two on the grid, qualify, you know, one and two in all fr- the practice sessions, ultimately didn't win that race, but they were the fastest car on the track at Bahrain to a, a year later where it was even more painful for them today to see, particularly Charles Leclerc, get overtaken so easily on the back straight. How, what what do you think for them? Was it expected today? After the weekend they had in Turkey, I thought, yeah, you know, going into a, a power-sensitive track, I knew they'd struggle, but I didn't expect them to struggle as much as they did. Like particularly after the start that Charles had, I thought, oh, here we go. Well, Charles is right up there. This is going to make this battle, uh, you know, over fourth, fifth, sixth, etc., a bit more interesting. But he just he just completely tailed back, and I just think that that's another example of Charles's talent at the start, getting himself up there, and then getting dragged down by the uh, the performance of the car. It, it just it just shows how far behind Ferrari are on tracks like this. And for Seb, I, you know what? I, I just look and think, I can't wait for this season to be over for him. I just can't wait for him to get out of um, Ferrari. And I, I really hope it works out for him uh, soon to be Aston Martin because it's been it's been an awful year for him. And yeah, I just, I just think it's been an awful season for him, an awful season for Ferrari. And I can't wait for next season. We'll see where Ferrari are. I really personally want to see Ferrari on a similar performance level to Aston Martin because I'd love to see Sebastian Vettel battle those Ferraris next season. It would certainly be a sight to see. Um, obviously, Ferrari have got a lot of development work in the works at the moment of factory, as do all of the teams working on next year's cars. Matty Bonotto, the team principal, for the second race in a row, staying at the factory to oversee the development work going on, and particularly on the engine, the famous engine controversy from last season where Ferrari obviously had to rebuild the engine to meet the current FIA specs because it was deemed that what they were doing were illegal, although not necessarily proven, but the implications certainly have a lot of merit to them given what had happened. And as a result, Ferrari certainly down on power. Their new engine, though, they've they've called the Superfast Project, which is 
bit of a strange name for it. I suppose if it does exactly what it says on the tin, that's going to be fantastic. Could be worth as much as 30 brake horsepower, which certainly is a good opening sign. But of course, I'm imagining Ferrari fans will hope for a little bit more performance and uh, a car that's going to be redesigned in certain elements to be less draggy, but I imagine to keep the corner in performance and try to regain as much downforce as possible that they've lost because that engine uh, that we talked about before uh, that was obviously had to be redesigned was purpose built to be in this year's car. And the car was designed around that engine. And of course they don't have that. Hence why they're struggling this season. And, um, you know, back to the drivers, Courtney, we saw Sebastian Vettel on the radio complaining about an incident. We thought he was talking about Lance Stroll and Danny Kvyat. Turned out it, it was talking about Charles Leclerc uh, very aggressively going up the inside of him into turn one at the uh, second start, the restart, if you like. Um, and it made Vettel have to take slight evasive action, but it certainly was reminiscent of what Charles did in uh, the Styrian race where he drove into the back of Seb. And Seb definitely highlighted that point. He was ex- very, very uh, annoyed at the fact that they'd had the morning driver briefing, as they often do. And the golden rule that they seem to put forward at Ferrari is, you know, be aggressive if you want, but don't drive into your teammate again. And as a result, you could say it contributed to Seb being bogged down in that no man's land area, being boxed in and kind of set the tone for the race that followed for him. Because, you know, that, that's that's kind of how it was for Seb. I mean, what did you make of that radio call, Corny? Do you feel it's fair what Vettel's saying, that perhaps Leclerc not shown enough courtesies to his teammate whilst he's making these moves to try and gain as many places as possible? Yeah, I do. I think it was fair and I think it sums up the mindset that Sebastian has. Um, he probably feels he hasn't been given the resources compared to Charles. And he is, he's, he's he's just a guy that can't wait for uh he can't wait to get on the beach or whatever he does in the summer. But I'm not sure he's the beach type, but uh I think I think he's he's ready to leave. And I just think he's highlighting some of the things that have probably made him frustrated that maybe Ferrari should have picked up on. Um but yeah, I, I just I just think I've when I look at drivers that uh, can't wait for this season to end, it's definitely a toss-up between him and Valtteri. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, my heart goes out to Seb, and uh, it's definitely one of my favourite Ferrari drivers. And I think, you know, seeing Seb at Ferrari, I think the paddock has fallen in love with Seb um, and got to see the real Sebastian Vettel, the one we didn't really see in the Red Bull days. And, you know, the lot of growing up that he's done at Ferrari, this, you know, the more mature version of Seb, definitely a much more likable character and one of the most popular drivers of the paddock. So hopefully, you know, after leaving Ferrari upon reflection, it's going to be sad that it didn't result in a world championship that we all hoped we would see. But, um, you know, you know, what could have been back in 2018, I suppose, but uh, hopefully better pastures new will present themselves to him at Aston Martin for the future. But um, I'll tell you what, it is good to see Leclerc in particular. I know we've, you know, criticised him perhaps being a bit too aggressive, but it's nice to see Leclerc really getting the shoulders out and uh, really, really racing. As long as he controls that in the right manner and not make any more mistakes than he has in certain points. But, uh, you know, so some positives and negatives there. Just looking at the rest of the field, um, you know, Alfa Romeo had a relatively quiet day. I think Giovinazzi tried to make the one stop work. It didn't really work out for him. Ended up 16th behind his teammate Kimi Raikkonen. Magnussen for Haas, 17th today, although today was mostly about making sure Roman was okay. And I think Haas's priorities were certainly in that direction. So I don't think they were too bothered about that. Uh, I mean, there was a great exchange between Gunther Steiner 
and uh, Alan van der Meere, where he was thanking him and Dr. Ian Roberts for basically helping to save Romain Grosjean's life. And he just said, you guys were like fucking fantastic, you know? And <laughs> and the only time I'm going to swear on this podcast is when I'm quoting Gunther Steiner. Exactly. You can get away with it if you quote it. Yeah, it's quoting, it's quoting Gunther. You know, anyone who's seen Gunther Steiner on <laughs> The Drugs as Vice knows that he's very much a colourful character, not just in his mannerisms but his language as well was definitely one of my favorite team bosses and a bit of a celebrity i suppose but um you know it was fine i don't think sky i might be wrong in this so don't quote me on this guy absolutely i don't want to get sued but um i don't think sky apologized for that you know they're very quick these broadcasters to apologize when someone swears on their coverage but uh, when i heard it i don't recall them apologizing or maybe they did and i misheard it i don't know there was lots of thoughts going on in my head with grosjean but it was a funny exchange but nonetheless um given what it represented it was nice to see uh gunther steiner straight away approaching and thanking those that were very response you know very responsive and ultimately helped save a man uh from fortunately um not having to suffer any more injuries or worse than what he actually had in the incident. So, you know, you know, great to see just looking through the rest of the paddock. I think Williams, you know, given everything that they've gone through this season, still no points. And given the races that we have left, I mean, next week's race, the ring road at Bahrain might prove to be a good opportunity for them with that Mercedes engine Hopefully. and lower drag uh, with the less turns. So it might be a track where George Russell might get points, but again, I think George, all things considered, despite finishing 12, drove a very good race today. Um, you know, his first start was terrible. Um, but then when the restart came, he had a brilliant start by contrast. So, you know, it's good to see that he was able to make amends when he had a second opportunity. But uh, it drove a very solid race. He kept guys behind him. I think only Valtteri Bottas was the only driver that made a proper overtake on him in the race. And naturally, with a much better car underneath him, he should do. But he did a good job. Latifi did very good as well. So I think probably fair to say Williams would probably be quite happy with how today went and they might be looking forward to next because I mentioned already that it may suit their car better with that different layout. Yeah, hope, hope, yeah, I really do hope it happens. Um, God, George really does deserve that point. I know there's no such word as officially deserving anything in sport, but if there's anybody that deserves a point for their talents and what he's, a uh, what he's given the Formula One, given the car he has, it's certainly George Russell and, Fingers crossed for him next week because he's probably going to be, he's going to probably have a much better chance of doing it next week than he will in Abu Dhabi. So, fingers crossed for George. He deserves the point. And hopefully, if it's not this season, hopefully he's given a car good enough next season for him to showcase exactly what he can give. Absolutely. And given the nature of the regulation changes, they may find that opportunity to get more out of it than uh, some of the top teams will. But, um, I think that's a good way to end the podcast. Of course, as we mentioned next week, the we're still going to be at Bahrain, but it's going to be the ring road layout. I think it's about four corners on this. So I think everybody is looking forward to that race, ex- unless you're driving a Ferrari powered car. So, um, and I don't exaggerate that at all. I think Ferrari are really going to, if you think they struggled this weekend, I think they're really going to struggle next weekend. And this is coming from a diehard Ferrari fan. So I'm not looking forward to that, but, um, <laughs> but uh, I digress. It, it's mad um, that, we're almost at the end of the season, Courtney. You know, it feels strange. We've got two more races left to go. In the next two weeks, we're going to have to come up with something else to talk about to keep you guys interested. Otherwise, we might unsubscribe. We don't want that. <laughs> uh, but yeah. As, as fast as this... Yeah, yeah. Please, please, please do stay. Uh, but as fast as this season has 
has gone. I, I said this to you before we started to record. I've never known a season to have so many unique races. You know, some of the track firm specifics have, have helped contribute to this season. And despite despite it looking on paper, oh, Lewis Hamilton won again. Mercedes have absolutely dominated. It's been a boring season. Apart from the Mercedes dominant, it's actually dominance. It's been anything but. It just seems that even like races that should seem traditional, like today, barring Grand Prix, they it usually offers average to maybe decent races at best because of overtaking opportunities. But yet again, 2020 has delivered a unique race as to what we saw with Roman, and we can look back to pretty much every race this season, and it's given us something unique and. Despite it being a short season and it's been a horrible year for everybody, I think it's been one of the most enjoyable seasons we've had since maybe 2014. In some elements, definitely. And uh, obviously we've got two more races to go and uh, we'll have to wait and see what the rest of the season has in store for us. Hopefully, no more of what we saw regarding Roman Grosjean. And if we do get the chance to see Roman Grosjean again in an F1 car before the season is out, that'd be brilliant. But of course health and safety first and uh, if it is his last race as I said already you know congratulate him on a good career and wish him all the best in his future endeavours but um, yep it's a good way to end this episode of the podcast been a really good discussion I think you'll agree and uh, thanks once again Courtney for joining me on this episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast no I love doing it and uh, I have no intention to go anywhere soon so you lot are stuck with me (laughs) absolutely music to my ears that sounds like but uh yeah as we mentioned already guys make sure to like share and subscribe to the youtube channel join our ever-growing dnf1 family and of course if you are listening to this podcast on uh, your favorite podcasting platform outside of youtube you know you can watch these podcasts on a video podcast on our youtube channel just type in dnf1 f1 podcast on the youtube channel and you'll see us there make sure to like share and subscribe to the channel and of course follow us on social media as well dnf1 underscore podcast for twitter and instagram and dnf1 f1 podcast for facebook and youtube so all that's left to say guys is thanks for tuning in stay safe and we'll see you in the next episode the DNF1 F1 podcast. See you soon. Network.